In terms of how you go about finding the influencers, I think the, the first place I've always started is to do an organic search of hashtags, like who's tagging hashtag this go right now. Let's go find the influencers who already love our product, who are already willing to associate with it. And then let's see if they wanna work with us, right? It's best influencer content feels as organic and real as possible. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We are so happy to have our next guest today, Noah Gutterman. Noah is the director of marketing of Visco. She leads the product marketing, lifecycle marketing, and performance marketing teams. Noah moved to the Bay Area to run growth marketing at Her, the largest dating app for queer women. Pursuing her quest for further digital marketing knowledge, Noah joined Metric Theory, where she built a mobile-first marketing team. Now, as Visco's director of marketing, Noah drives user acquisition for one of the largest photo-video editing apps on the market. So happy to have you here, Noah. Welcome to to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's really great having you. And, you know, I've been a Visco user in the very early days. So tell us a bit about what is Visco? How have you guys evolved? And also what, tell us more about your role. Yeah, absolutely. I love hearing when people have been Visco users since the beginning. Actually, last month, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Wow. Uh, and it's crazy to be a startup that's been around for 10 years. So super proud to be a part of the team. Visco, like you said, is one of the largest photo and video editing apps. We've had over 100 million users since we started 10 years ago, which is awesome. And just over between like 2 and 3 million paying customers, which is great. We're a subscription business. We offer a monthly and an annual subscription maybe some other cool things coming soon. But we really are one of the biggest photo video apps for both casual and professional usage. When we started 10 years ago, we were originally an extension or plugin for Photoshop. And we then spun off our own product, built up this huge community. And now we are super popular, not just with people who casually edit photos or videos, but super popular with um, millennials and Gen Zers, which is a really fun community and group of users to play in. And what does someone get if they are a paid subscriber versus if they're a free subscriber? I love that question. (laughs) Thanks. As a Visco member, you get access to our full suite of editing tools. So what you get as a free user is a very limited scope of tools and only for photos. As a paying customer, everything that lives behind the paywall, you get access to all of our video tools all of our unlimited 200 plus presets, as well as some of our brand new tools that are really exciting and are popping things like adding text to your photos, things like adding effects to your videos. And then of course we have one of our most beloved features called Disco, which is like Visco's version of a boomerang. And that is one of our most popular video tools that does live behind the paywall and is a part of our membership. Cool. That's awesome. So tell us about your role. You know, you lead user acquisition and a few different areas of marketing. What does that entail? Yeah, absolutely. So exactly what you said, product marketing, lifecycle marketing, and then performance or paid user acquisition all roll up to me. I've hired the entire team since I joined a year ago and really built up all these programs. 
redid our entire technical infrastructure and relaunched paid user acquisition in a way that Visco has never really done it before to a, a super scalable degree. So that looks like paid ads on anywhere between like five and 15 channels, depending on how far along we've been in the process. That looks like a fully built out lifecycle marketing function, both for our free users and for our paying customers, and then a full product marketing function. Our team at Visco, us as a marketing unit, actually sit within product. I roll up to our VP of product, which makes for a really nice combination of product strategy and marketing strategy at the company. So my two product marketing managers kind of are the go-between or the connective tissue between our two teams. And it's made for some really cool launches that we've done recently. Wow, very cool. So, you know, it's you joined probably a little bit over a year ago, right? Which is means that most of your time at Visco has been during the pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, actually all of it. I joined last wow. June. So I've never been to the office in person. I've never even met any of my coworkers in person. It's been a real challenge and also a great growth opportunity for me to hire and build out an entire team and strategy fully remote. I feel like I should be like a case study for COVID. So this is probably like really interesting. Yeah. How has that been for you? Are you an introvert, an extrovert? Was oh, this gosh. like, are you, are you excited <laughs> to come back to work or... How are you feeling about this whole thing? Mata, I'm going to be like the first person in the office. I'm such <laughs> an extrovert. It's been really challenging for me. I'll be really honest. I live alone. So in the pandemic, it's been hard as an extrovert to get that, get those social interactions or get those social touch points. And especially being a manager, being a boss, having people report up to me, it's really hard to be a great manager without ever having that in-person connection and learning how someone works and can be the best employee without ever actually seeing them work, seeing them in person. So it's been it's been a really good challenge for me in learning how to build rapport and especially build trust with the people who roll up to me, only ever seeing them on my computer screen. And how about Visco? Do you feel like uh, the pandemic, how did the pandemic affect, you think, the company usage of the app? Uh, and do you think as people come back to work, will there be any big, big shifts in the way you guys think about product and marketing? Absolutely. We were very lucky in the pandemic. We were not negatively affected in a way that a lot of other businesses in the travel and the hospitality space and the live event space were. We saw app usage go up like a lot of other mobile apps in the pandemic. Obviously, people aren't traveling and taking beautiful photographs and videos of what they see out in the world and then editing those photos and videos on Visco. But people still want to be creative. People still want to take pictures. And so the need for Visco remains, no matter if you're stuck in your home or if you're in some far-flung place on a trip. So we saw our app usage stay constant and honestly increase in the pandemic. It's not been bad for the business at all. But as we look to the future, as the world starts to reopen, I think that Visco will just continue to do what it's always done, which is create a platform for creativity for whoever wants to be there and create a safe space for that creative expression. Unlike other apps, we don't have comments. We don't have likes. It's not somewhere where you can really get famous in the traditional way that you could on Instagram, let's say, or on YouTube, Visco is really a place where you can be as private or as open as you want to be. And so I think we're just going to continue to build tools, build products, and build a marketing strategy that allow people to express themselves creatively in the ways that they want to. We do a lot of listening to our community. We really are trying to dig in this year and understand what they want from us because quite frankly, you could go to Snapchat and get a video editing tool. You could yeah. go to Instagram and put a filter on your photo. So we want to make sure that we're making Visco as special and unique as we can be and building for our community of over a hundred thousand 
active users who've ever been on our platform, we want to build what they want rather than just building the next cool face filter or the next cool video editing yeah. tool. So we're really a creator first platform. How do you listen to those, you know, you you say you I think it's sometimes hard for companies to like understand how to best listen to customers with so many of them. How do you do the that listening? How do you prioritize, you know, out of the asks that you get from your users? Yeah, I think it's incredibly hard to really understand and dig into what your users want. We have a full user research team and and they do really great work, both doing kind of small group sessions, doing bigger data analysis, doing natural usage habit analyses. But I think we also pay really close attention to what's happening in kind of like far flung corners of the internet. We look at what's happening on Reddit, how people are talking about us on Discord. We look at all of our negative reviews on the App Store and try to figure out what we're not giving on our product that people are upset about. We also have a really great customer support team that just genuinely like listens to what people have to say and, and responds. And because we're a free platform for the most part, although we do have a subscription, of course, the majority of our users are using it for free. And we want to make an app and a platform that inspires delight and really makes people happy and allows them to express themselves creatively. So if we're not listening and we're not giving people what they want, we're not going to be doing our jobs well. So you've had like this really interesting career. You're at Visco now, but you've had some like interesting, you've worked in other interesting spaces. How did you get into marketing? How did it all start? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've uh, had quite a non-traditional path, although I don't know if anyone has a super traditional path in growth marketing, given that it's a pretty new field and not a lot of people went to school for it. Or even today, you can't really go to school and learn growth marketing. I think we've all had our own little unique pathways here. So if you back up in my life, I graduated from a small all-women's college called Smith College. I got a degree in history and a second degree in Italian. I thought I was going to become a professor of women and gender studies. And I thought that was the the world I was going to live. So I left school. I actually went and did a Fulbright research grant in Ethiopia. um, And I lived in the community of women for a year and essentially wrote a marketing strategy for how to better connect communities of people with the resources that they need. And I left that year feeling like I never wanted to do it again. And I absolutely hated field research. And what I really wanted to run after was this marketing and communication strategy, understanding a collective need and translating that into something that lots of other people could understand really created this spark inside of me and really felt like this thing that I needed to run after that not enough people were doing and not enough people were talking about. So I started out after my Fulbright in news. I actually ran growth marketing for a couple of news companies. Probably the biggest one would be Axios. I started their growth team from the ground. And then I got the opportunity to move out to San Francisco, like you said, to run growth at Her, a dating app. So got got my feet wet in the San Francisco tech space in dating, which is its own unique kind of bag of tricks. And having done marketing at news companies and at dating apps, I really felt like there was a blank space in my resume of learning how to go into any company, be it a B2B company, B2C, a SaaS company, and really understand how to scale up their growth loops and their growth stack. So I went agency side for a year and a half, which is a little non-traditional, but I think super valuable for any marketers who really want to beef up their skill set. Worked across like five to 10 companies that were all mobile apps that were all scaling their businesses, really got in the weeds with them as well as running my own team. And then when the pandemic started, I got the opportunity to move over to Visco and have been there since. But it's crazy to look back, you know, six, seven, eight years ago and see the path from my Fulbright to now. Um, And a lot of those skills in growth marketing, I mean, I had some great mentors, I had some great bosses, but 
I also taught it to myself or learned it on the internet, watched a lot of YouTube videos, took a lot of courses online and really figured out how to turn my skill sets in writing and communication and strategic thinking into what we now call growth marketing. Is there anything in your like personal life that you think kind of like pushed you in this direction of doing marketing, of being passionate about communities? Yeah, I think I was raised to always care about communities and always give back. I was really raised in a culture and, and in a family where service was was really highly prioritized. But I like to also say marketing kind of runs in my blood. My grandfather actually had an ad agency in New York in the 60s and 70s. So very like Mad Men era, Don Draper vibes. And I always really looked up to him and thought he did incredible work for his clients. Obviously, it was all print and radio and billboards, but I've kind of taken that and, and run with it. And, and now I feel a little bit like kind of living out the next generation of that yeah. marketing vision um, in the tech space. So so that's kind of fun. Unfortunately, he's no longer around, so he doesn't get to see this happen. But I think that he would be very excited and, and kind of entertained by the way that the ad industry has evolved. He'd probably be incredibly proud of you, I think. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I hope so. But I think he would also just be astonished by the amount of tracking and attribution that we now have. Um, his thing was always like, you never know if your marketing's working or not, so you must make it you know, as beautiful, as engaging, as interesting <laughs> as possible. But now we can track you know, down to the individual user level and who's viewed the ads. So it's, the industry has changed quite a bit in the last 50 years. Indeed. I think it used to be that marketing was just a creative thing. And now I think you get, it's not that it's not creative, but more than half of marketing today is people with technical backgrounds and are good at numbers and are good at measurement. That has become, you know, the CMO went from being someone like just very creative to like now a lot of them are very data driven, right? So I think that's been very interesting um, transition over time. I think you're super right about that. And and it's one of the things I love now about marketing is that it is this perfect combination for me between creative ideation and really strategic or analytical analysis. I, I love that we get to do both sides in our field. Same here. So, you know, I've had conversations, I think we've talked to other people on the podcast about growth and where should growth sit in an organization. In your case, you lead marketing, but you sit on the product. I've heard where growth is fully under marketing. I've also talked to people that have a completely separate team. What are your thoughts around this? You know, what's your ideal? If you could start an organization from scratch and put growth somewhere, where would you put it? You've obviously been in different places. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I think I've been in all the situations you described. And of course, all of them have drawbacks and positives, right? No situation is going to be a perfect fit for every single company. For Visco, I think our current setup is the ideal one because we are nothing if we are not our product, right? We don't have any physical goods. We don't have any experiential marketing right now that would necessitate it being its own team or sitting under a different function. If our product isn't great, we're going to lose our entire user base. And so for me, being a team that works hand in hand with product and both the head of product and myself, the head of marketing, roll up to our VP of product really makes for a super cohesive experience, especially when we think about a go-to-market strategy. My two product marketing managers or PMMs, as I call them, are so good at translating a product vision into how a user would experience it. And for that reason, it feels so necessary to have us sit within product. I think as our team expands and marketing at Visco really grows, so right now we're about five people, I think by the end of the year, we'll probably eclipse that, maybe even double it. 
I could see us spinning out into our own function, but I think I will always remain super connected to product, especially, and, and for my two PMMs, they will as, as well. I think maybe our paid UA function or even our life cycle function might kind of act independently. But for me, I feel like I'm not doing my job if I'm not super in sync with products. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, you've been a Visco for now a little bit over, you know, I think 10 months, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about like your achievements and if there's like one favorite campaign that you've done. And then after that, I'll probably ask you about your favorite like career campaign. But let's start with, with Visco. Yeah, absolutely. So you're out, you're right. I joined about 10 months ago. And when I joined, there was no paid user acquisition at Visco at all. We turned off all of our campaigns at the start of the pandemic. And frankly, at that point in time, they were all brand campaigns. And so there was also no lifecycle marketing when I joined in a fully spun up sense. And there wasn't really a lot of product marketing. So I would say if I had to talk about one accomplishment, it would be that in 10 months I've hired my four team members and we've built up an entire paid UA function, an entire lifecycle function and a full product marketing function. And so outside from picking just one campaign, I think just the the sheer perseverance of building all of that myself has really been um, the accomplishment that I'm most proud of. If I had to talk about one specific campaign and one user acquisition strategy, I think I'm really excited and I'll just like kind of sneak this in, although it's not quite live yet. We're about to, in the next couple of weeks, launch a really big influencer marketing campaign with the idea that young people in particular are really interested in Visco and really utilize Visco. And so we're going to test out how scalable TikTok could be as an influencer marketing channel and how scalable YouTube could be. We're looking into a lot of different demographics, of course, but honing in super closely on Gen Zers. So I can't say it's an accomplishment yet because we have not seen the results, but my hope would be that this really proves out that not only that influencer marketing could work for Visco, but also that young folks and Gen Zers not only fall in love with the brand, but also are willing to pull out their wallets and pay for it if we can make the use case for why they need Visco and why they need Visco membership in particular. We haven't actually talked that much about influencer marketing on this podcast. And I think it's such an interesting topic. It really is. How do you think about both finding the influencers? I'm sure many are wondering. And how do you reward them for like promoting your brand? Yeah. I think that's probably the million dollar question with influencer marketing, right? Like what's the secret sauce? How do you get it to work? I run influencer marketing myself. I've used self-service platforms that just give you the ability to connect with influencers. And I've worked with full service agencies who go out and find the influencers for you and do the whole contracts. At Visco right now, we are doing the third approach, working with a very full service agency because of the limitations of my headcount and just how busy I am. I can't run it myself. So we are working with an agency and In terms of how you go about finding the influencers, I think the the first place I've always started is to do an organic search of hashtags, like who's tagging hashtag Visco right now? Let's go find the influencers who already love our product, who are already willing to associate with it. And then let's see if they want to work with us, right? It's best if influencer content feels as organic and real as possible. Yeah, they're already fans. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd rather have it feel real. I'd rather have that influencer feel like they've been talking about a brand and that brand actually wants to work with them. I think that's the best way to create a super good relationship on both sides. In terms of how you reward or incentivize them, I think that really comes down to like how you value what they're bringing to the table and how you associate a monetary like approximation of of the value or how do you assign an ROI to it. So for us, that looks like working on a CPA model with our current agency. So not a cost per view. I could have 
2 million people see the content, but if it's not turning into installs and signups, it doesn't matter to me. So we've created a hybrid pricing structure where we are eventually scaling up to only being charged on a cost per basically install, which means that we're really weeding out what sources aren't working and what sources are working. Aside from that, I think there's a lot of value in just small gestures. So like we're planning to send swag boxes to all the influencers who work with us. We don't make merch right now. So having a Visco merchandise, having a piece of, you know, a sweatshirt or a water bottle or whatever, you only have that right now if you work at Visco. And we really want them to feel like an extension of our brand. So hoping that those two things in combination, paying them well, paying them for what we're actually getting out of it, and then helping them feel part of the Visco family will ensure a really successful relationship with the influencers we choose to work with. And I think the question that I think maybe maybe many many are asking is this idea, should you work, like if you had to choose, should you work with like a lot of more like micro-influencers yeah. or is it more worth it to find like a really big one, a star, pay them a lot of money and have them promote you? What are your thoughts around that? Uh, how should people think about like the decision, you know, should they just go after one big, big yeah. brand or try to go more like the, the middle road? For sure. I honestly, I'm pretty opinionated here. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is a subjective topic, right? I want to be super clear about this. This isn't like analyzing. This is your opinion. That's totally cool. This is just my opinion. And and I really, I believe in the value of micro influencers, not someone who has a hundred followers, right? That's not going to get you anywhere, but that sweet space probably between like 10 and 50,000 followers, you typically see incredibly high engagement rates with those people. If you look at the number of like likes, comments, shares they have versus the total number of followers, you're seeing really strong engagement with their content. Whereas if you look at a big, big, big star with millions of followers, their engagement rate is actually quite low. People like looking at their content and they often like purchasing from them, but it doesn't always translate over a digital platform, right? If Kim Kardashian, let's say, has skims, lots of people want to go out and buy skims. But I bet that if she's promoting Visco, a lot less people are going to sign up for Visco just because she promoted it versus who wants to buy her actual merchandise. Whereas if we're working with someone, let's say with 50,000 influencers, and they say, I like Visco, people are probably much more connected to emulating their behavior. And so they want to be like that influencer because they feel really connected to them. They probably DM'd with them on Instagram before. And so they want to buy their products. They want to buy into whatever that influencer is promoting. So we're planning to work with a variety of influencers for our initial pilot, just to try to see what's working, some bigger, some smaller. But I'm really trying to skew into that sweet space of a micro-influencer with super high engagement rates who has an audience who really cares about what they have to say. I love that. I think that's a really interesting approach. Uh, and I love the opinion, right? I think it's a lot easier to spend a lot of money and do one person that has millions exactly. of followers. It's actually harder to go up and find 20 or 30 of the more micro-influencers and you probably spend the same amount of money, but it's what it sounds like the ROI exactly. could yeah. be actually a lot better with the 20 or 30 versus that one, you know, it, big name. So I, I really think that it's, uh, you know, it's definitely more work I can, but probably pays off. Yeah. And I will say micro influencers work a lot harder to promote their content than someone who is a super, super big star because that big star doesn't necessarily need the brand partnership. They don't necessarily need super high engagement. There's always going to be a next opportunity for them. When you work with someone more up and coming, they're a little hungrier. They're a little scrappier. It's like working at a startup, right? Like you, you really care. You are invested way more in the success of each individual project rather than the sum of all of those projects turning into fame. So 
I feel like kind of a kinship a little bit with yeah. people who are micro influencers because I think we're all going after the same thing, right? At startups, we're, we're really trying to make ourselves successful and that's what they're trying to do as well. So we've talked about acquisition and I think this is like a really cool stuff. I can't wait to hear how it goes and once you guys have launched it. How about, you know, you also run Lifecycle. How do you think about re-engagement and re-engagement specifically for mobile app users? What are some of your strategies and some things that others should might, you know, should consider when they think about re-engagement? 100%. Yeah. Re-engagement or retention is, I think, like the new hot topic of marketing yes, for a couple of years of this acquisition. And now we've all shifted over. It's all like, growth starts with, yeah. I even like I did the course and it was like, okay, well, growth doesn't start the acquisition anymore. It starts with retention. It does. It absolutely does. I'm actually also taking a, a reforge course right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of those or taken them before, but I've been reading yeah, up a lot I on know. this because if your funnel's leaky, it doesn't matter how cheaply you're bringing in customers at the top of the funnel, you're just going to lose them. And so when we think about retention and re-engagement, we really try to look at natural usage habits of our power users. What tools are they using? What do they love the most? Where are they spending the most time in the app? And then we try and encourage other new users to emulate those behaviors in the hopes that they will also fall in love with those parts of the product. And they will also fall in love with those tools. So rather than just paying attention to people who are already power users, we're trying to turn net new users into power users so that we can then convert them to our membership. So it's a little bit longer of a, a sales cycle, I'll say, than just immediately pushing people to an upsell screen or to a sell sheet. We really try and help people fall in love with the product first, and then we try to sell them our membership. So that looks like showing them all the cool things they can do in the app and showing them what filters will look best with their photos, depending on if it's a sunset picture or a selfie or a mirror pic, whatever that might be. Our machine learning algorithm will suggest you filters that it thinks you'll like the most. And we try and get people to follow their friends and engage with other creators and message people they like on, on Visco so that we can really help users see the inherent value of our product and use that as a way to re-engage people. So it might seem like a simple strategy, but it's quite a bit of work to try and do audience segmentation and personalization through own channels like push in-app and email. And for us, those channels really make or break whether someone retains at Visco. It's, it's not something that just happens by itself. We have to work pretty hard to get people to stick around and come back and use it every day because you as a consumer aren't necessarily editing a photo every single day, right? People edit right. photos when they want to post it on Instagram. So they edit for their birthday, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for New Year's, let's say. But we want to encourage habitual behavior. We want to incentivize someone to use the app every single day. And that looks like coming up with the best tools and products. So that also looks like teaching and showing users what they should be doing to create the best photos. So we're also trying to, to really turn a infrequent editor into a frequent editor. And so that really comes back to that re-engagement piece. If we can get you to come back every single day and help you see the magic of editing your photos, even just for fun, not just to post on your feed, then we're doing our jobs right. That's awesome. So, you know, we've talked about growth, what you're doing, all the, I, I think, such great ideas for others to try and tips on, on things that you are doing right now at Visco. What, you know, when you think about your career, you've talked a lot about like personal influence, personal life, but have there been any, how do you learn, you know, if mentioned Reforge, any mentors, any, any places where you go and read to keep yourself up to date with the latest technology and keep growing? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think educating yourself is one of the best things you can do as a marketer because this industry is changing faster than people can write about it, right? Like there are new things every single day, new technologies, Apple or Google will make big changes that we all have to react to. So half of marketing, I think, is just staying up to date. And to do that, I mean, I read a lot of content on the internet. I am always trolling like blogs and message boards and Googling stuff. Every day I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. I look at Forbes and just like scrolling my LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is weirdly an underappreciated place to get information from, not just a job search. And so I really try and follow people who are making waves in the growth space and, and really try to learn from them. Otherwise, I would encourage folks to like listen to podcasts. I mean, listen to this podcast, but also go out and find some others. There are some really great people making content about growth out there. And and you do have to work a little bit hard for it because this is a new space that doesn't have a lot of rules set up. But I've just learned, frankly, a lot from like exploring the internet, watching YouTube videos, reading people's, you know, blogs and medium posts. But I've also had some really great mentors and managers who've helped me along in my career and folks that are not necessarily growth marketers. I've actually had very few growth bosses, um, but bosses who care a lot about me and my career and, and really helping me grow as a person. And I had one of the best bosses in my life when I worked at Axios. And what she told me is that the importance of finding common ground with the people you work with, regardless of who they are, or where you're at in your career, that you always need to start a personal relationship and a professional relationship by finding common ground with someone. And I think that's super important in marketing because we work so cross-functionally. We work a lot with engineers, with developers, And sometimes we speak a very different language from them. I'm a super bubbly extrovert and often I don't get that same energy back. And so it's really about learning how to find common ground with someone and using that as a tool to improve your working relationship. I love it. I think that's great. So this has been awesome. We usually end with three more quirky, fun questions. Great. Throw them at me. I'm ready. (laughs) So let's do it. Okay. Question number one, if you had to delete all the apps from your phone, and you could only keep one app, what would you keep? I would keep this library app I use called Libby. I'm a huge fan of reading. I love to read and I could really rack up a nice bill at amazon.com if I bought all of my books. So I tried to check them out from the library and Libby syncs up with your library card. I'm gonna be honest, the user interface, not the best, but <laughs> the books are still great. They, they still remain. And I would definitely keep that if I, if I had to delete everything else. That's so funny. I think mine would be Goodreads because I also read a lot, but like (laughs) I find all the books on Goodreads. I'm like obsessive. Like I spend so much time on Goodreads. I'm like, if I don't have Goodreads. Okay, I need to follow you on Goodreads. I'm going to do that after this call. Okay, so if you had an app to talk to one animal and one animal alone, what would you pick? As someone who like loves communication and loves understanding groups of people, mine would definitely be, this is so weird, monkeys and specifically gorillas. I don't know if you're familiar, but I'm super fascinated with the sign language work done between Coco the gorilla and Penny Patterson and kind of like how they communicated and all that work. And so I would really want to talk to gorillas and try to understand just more about them. That is cool. It sounds like you actually could, right? If they know sign language, if you, we could actually build an app. I think this was more like a random question, but I think you yeah. took it like somewhere very close to reality. <laughs> we could did. actually yeah. build an app that talks to gorillas if they understand sign language. Right. That's awesome. Love it. <laughs> I think this is the most like realistic answer I've ever gotten to this question. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so lastly, what is an unlikely app we will find on your phone? Something that people might like be a little bit surprised, people who know you. Okay, well, 
I don't know if anyone would be super surprised by this, but I was looking through my apps this morning and I don't think I have a better answer for you than this. So we're just going to go with it. I will say that I have literally every competitor of Visco's app on my phone and I check them constantly to see what products they're coming out with. So maybe that would be the answer. But I will say I am super fascinated by astrology and being like a very rational data-driven person that might seem strange, but I really love this one astrologer. Mm. Her name is Chani Nichols. She's really great. And so I have her app, which is just called Chani, and she gives weekly horoscopes. And I always love reading them. No, I mean, astrology is like blowing up. I'm a, I am invest for Sequoia. So we have, I'm a scout. Oh, so I was nice. seeing in scouts, yeah. like there's like, we people are investing in this like astrology app. And I started reading about the market and I'm like, oh my God, astrology is like blowing yes. up. It's really interesting. Absolutely. CoStar, I think, is the app that most folks kind of know and go Co-Star, to. CoStar, it was the one, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would really encourage anyone who wants like a masterclass in lifecycle marketing to download their app because their push notification strategy and their brand voice is phenomenal. I just happen to really like this one astrologer whose app is probably a little bit less good, but I like what she does more. So I use hers. Well, Noah, this was amazing. I feel like I learned a lot. I might... Pick your brain on influencer marketing. I think we need to do like a session, a webinar or something. Absolutely. I would love that. Because you, I love all the knowledge there. And I think uh, hopefully our listeners learned a lot today. And it was so great uh, having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I love this. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.